Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. Every audio and video transmission that I do on this podcast, I am going to be covering a book and I'm going to be reading sections of it and we'll be discussing it. Now, the books that I am going to be covering are going to be geared towards the warrior mindset. For you soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors, view cops, corrections officers, you know, all of the people who put on the uniform every day and go and look the wolf in the eye every single day. This podcast is for you, but also it's for the university students. It's for the working moms and dads out there for the single moms, single dads trying to raise kids on their own. The ones who hustle and grind every single day. This podcast is for you as well. You have to have the warrior mindset. Every day that we leave our houses, we can be confronted with situations where you may end up in a situation where we're going to have to defend ourselves. And our families depend on us. Somebody depends on us. It is very important that we are mentally prepared. Also, we have to be physically prepared, but mentally prepared for what will happen psychologically and also legally of what will happen in a situation where we have to defend ourselves and possibly use some type of deadly force, which is the book that I'm going to be covering today. It's called Deadly Force Encounters. It's the second edition, and it's written by Alexis Artwall and Loren Christensen. This book is amazing. It has real-life situations that happened. It's written in a very clear way and also talks about the psychological and the legal aspects of what happened afterwards. So that's what we do here at Flip the Script. So if you are interested in that, like, subscribe. Also, something unrelated to this podcast, I am sort of a coffee connoisseur, some people would say, and I will be sipping coffee throughout this whole podcast. I sip coffee all day, every day. And here, to give you a, this is what I'm drinking right here. If you know what this is, like, subscribe, and share. If you don't know what it is, look it up, like, subscribe, and share. All right. If you're still drinking your coffee light and sweet, you need to step your game up. Seriously, you need to step your game up light and sweet. Coffee, all the frappuccinos and the lattes. You know, I'm going to give all you guys, sugar water drinkers, an experiment. Next time you go to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks and get your favorite type of coffee, buy two of them, bring one home, put it in a pot on the stove, Heat it up until it all evaporates, and then see what's left over. Step your game up. Start drinking black coffee. No sugar. Listen, I drink coffee from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed. Okay? I could do that because I'm not drinking all these uh, all the sugar that give you those crashes. You know? This stuff is uh, black coffee. No sugar. You can sip on that all day. I sleep great. My wife, on the other hand, she doesn't even drink coffee, and she can't sleep. But here I am drinking coffee all day, 
and I have no problem sleeping. So I know that correlation is not causation. However, I don't know. I don't know. All right, so let's get into it. Let's flip the script. Deadly Force Encounters, second edition. First chapter, the shootout with the devil. The following account of an epic battle has been published multiple times, including in the excellent book, Blood Lessons, by Ramsburg, 2008. The chilling attack and the courage of a police and citizen first responders deserve multiple retellings. Below is the account of Sergeant Marcus Young. As told, too, by the authors, the stories of Deputy Cavella and Mr. Schott appear in Chapter 8, Citizen Force Multipliers. All right, so we're going to have to read Chapter 8 now. Their battle illustrates many human performance factors discussed throughout this book. All right, so this is Sergeant Young's story. Sergeant Young's path toward defeating evil started when he was 17, and his father made him an offer he could not refuse. You're joining the military. It will make a disciplined man out of you, as it did your grandfather and me. An incident when he was 20 years old as a sailor came to define Young's career path. He was coming out of a movie theater in San Diego with a friend, and when he was assaulted and shot in the foot by an armed criminal, Young fled for his life finding a police officer who placed him inside his patrol car to protect him. The criminal subsequently got away. Six months later, he and a friend were once again at the movies, and the same man entered the theater and sat down directly in front of him. Young told his friend to keep an eye on him while he went outside to call the police. The criminal, who turned out to be an illegal alien, was arrested, found guilty, served time, and was deported after his release. Young was so impressed with how the police and others in the criminal justice system protected and helped him that he knew he had found his calling. Little did he know how dramatically those early life lessons and his military training would come into play one day. Yeah. The ferocious fight with a real face of evil occurred on March 7th, 2003, around 9.30, on a busy Friday night. Marcus Young, now a sergeant, was working an overtime patrol shift with the Ukiah Police Department, accompanied by a 16-year-old police explorer, Cadet Julian Cavella. Dispatch sent him to the local Walmart, concerning an 18-year-old female shoplifter in custody. Security officer Brett shot and Mr. Schott's wife, also a security officer, met Sergeant Young and Cavella as they entered the store. Upon discovering that the young woman had an outstanding felony warrant, the sergeant took her into custody and began to escort her out to his patrol car. Schott said she had a male accomplice somewhere in the vicinity. When Sergeant Young asked the woman if her boyfriend was armed, she said no. Just like when many people say, don't worry, my dog won't bite. Just before the animal attacks, the reality was far from the truth. The 18-year-old woman's boyfriend was a 35-year-old ex-con neo-Nazi gang member who had spent most of his adult life incarcerated for various violent crimes. When the offender was 17, he stabbed an elderly man who later died from complications from the injury. 
At the time of the shoplifting, there was a felony warrant for the offender for a home invasion robbery. The man whose girlfriend claimed was unarmed was packing a stolen 38 caliber five-shot revolver, a fixed blade knife, and had four improvised explosive devices in his car. His girlfriend carried a fifth pipe bomb in her purse. As if advertising his commitment to evil, the offender had two devil horns tattooed on his forehead. Plus others on his body to include swastikas, the word death, and a large satanic face with horns on his back. Before evening ended, the wannabe devil offender would try to add the murders of two people to his long list of crimes. As the group, the woman in custody, the S Sergeant Young, Police Cadet Cavella, Security Officer, Mr. and Mrs. Schott, and Store Manager walked out the door, the offender confronted Mr. Schott and commenced harassing him. As Sergeant Young put the young woman in his patrol car, he heard Mrs. Schott call out to him. When the sergeant turned around, he saw the offender moving toward him, hands in his pockets. The sergeant ordered him to remove them. Instead, the man said he had a knife and began to withdraw it with his left hand while keeping his right hand in his pocket. The sergeant quickly closed the distance, applied a control hold on his left arm, and twisted him to face away. The offender, no stranger to interactions with police, grabbed the revolver out of his right pocket, reached over his left shoulder, and shot the sergeant in the head. Yikes. The bullet entered his left cheek and exited his neck near the base of his skull, narrowly missing his spine. Some people would be stunned into inaction by overwhelming shock and surprise of being shot at point-blank range in the face, but Sergeant Young didn't hesitate. He immediately engaged in life-and-death hand-to-hand combat with the offender. During the fight, the offender shot the sergeant four more times. One bullet hit his chest, the other hit his back, both potentially fatal had he not been wearing his body armor. A bullet entered his left armpit between an opening in his protective vest. That round fractured his left scapula and narrowly missed his spine. Another round hit the sergeant in his right biceps, shattering his humerus bone and paralyzing his dominant arm and gun hand. Yikes. One of Sergeant Young's punches missed the offender and hit the curb, ripping apart two inches of flesh and tendons between his middle and index fingers. He said he remembers looking through the open gap in his mangled left hand. The severe injuries did not stop him from staying in the fight. Shot, the unarmed security guard, showed great bravery by attacking the offender twice, wrestling the gun away, and throwing it toward some planters and trees. However, the offender still had his knife and he stabbed Mr. Shot in the shoulder. Sergeant Young doesn't remember seeing Mr. Shot stabbed, which was not his only memory gap. The two men have slightly different memories for a few of the details. For instance, Mr. Shot said he saw Sergeant Young get stabbed in his left hand, believing that was the case of this severe wound. Hmm, interesting. That does happen. Um, you could have two people give two different accounts of the same event. That's a well-known thing. It's no, but people tend to forget that. 
As we explained in later chapters, memory gaps and varied perceptions among eyewitnesses are common and are consistent with the research of perception of memory. There you go. There's research on it. Trust science. At one point during the battle, the offender ended up on the ground with Mr. Shot on top of him and the sergeant on top of Shot. When Young reached to unholster his weapon, an automatic response based of his years of military, personal, and law enforcement training, he couldn't extract it. Puzzled, he looked down to check his holster and saw that the problem wasn't his equipment, but rather his right arm. It was severely deformed and not responding to any of his efforts. He didn't realize the bullet had shattered his upper arm bone. He didn't realize the bullet had shattered his upper arm bone. Insensitivity to severe pain and other stimuli are typical combat phenomenon because selective attention focuses the brain externally on the threat and ignores everything else. The shocking sight of his deformed arm didn't, did not deter Sergeant Young. The first part of the battle took place next to the fender's car, which was parked two stalls away from the patrol vehicle. The fender broke free and ran over to the police car, jumped in right in front passenger seat and closed the door. There was an H&K rifle locked in the driver's compartment and a shotgun in the trunk. The sergeant knew he had to quickly stop the offender before the offender found the release lever to unlock the weapons. Blood covered Sergeant Young's face. He knew he was severely injured and might not survive. But instead of focusing inwardly like a victim, what is going to happen to me? The sergeant retained his warrior mindset. He was aware of people in the parking lot, including Mr. and Mrs. Schott and Cadet Cavella. So the conscious goal was to protect them from this rampaging psychopath. However, his paralyzed right arm couldn't unholster his weapon, nor could he retrieve his firearm with his severely wounded left hand and shoulder. Police trainers say the officers will respond without conscious thought based on their training. This was true during the sergeant's hand-to-hand -hand combat. However, he moved beyond automatic responses, and the only thing that could save him now was his ability to think creatively under extreme stress. Sergeant Young remembered that police cadet Julian Cavella was with him that night. The cadet had hung around through all the mayhem and was ready to help. It is safe to say that no agency would build into their training scenarios a predicament where an officer's appropriate response to a deadly threat would be to ask his unarmed teenage partner to extract his weapon and hand it to him. However, the sergeant's ability to stay calm and think under stress led him to that solution. At the sergeant's request, Cavella removed the gun from its holster and placed it into the sergeant's mangled left hand. Wow. The sergeant was now kneeling in the parking lot, covered in blood and not knowing if he was going to live or die. With his pistol in his non-dominant left hand, the palm ripped apart. He lifted the weapon with his severely damaged shoulder. He fired two shots through the patrol car's closed door, hoping the bullets would penetrate the metal and hit the fender in the chest. Instead, they impacted where the door frame's cluttered interior stopped the rounds. When the offender turned, Sergeant Young shot through the door's window. 
hitting the man in the center of the forehead between the two tattooed double horns. Now, if this were Hollywood, the fender's head would have exploded into a red mist. The patrol car would have detonated and the offender would have been DRT, dead right there. However, real life often deviates from Hollywood's fantasy world. The bullet failed to penetrate the offender's skull. Instead, the round circled around the outside, kept on going, and shattered its way through the driver's window. The forehead shot did not knock the offender unconscious, but it did knock him over. Taking no chances, the sergeant fired another round, and this one entered the offender's buttocks and traveled upward through his body, finally stopping his rampage. We will leave it up to our readers to decide if it is fitting that a butt shot killed this predatory psychopath who fancied himself to be the devil. Still thinking under stress, Sergeant Young directed, directed Cadet Cabela to radio an officer-down call to dispatch. The sergeant then directed him to use his flashlight to steer the ambulance to their location and to make sure that no one got ran over. When the first responding officers arrived, they initially thought that the security guards, Mr. and Mrs. Shot, were both in plain clothes, were the offenders. The sergeant explained who they were and said that the real one was inside the patrol car. With the scene secured, the sergeant could focus on himself, still thinking under stress. He consciously began controlled breathing, which helped to lower his heart rate and blood pressure to slow the bleeding. He lost two pints of blood before his wounds were treated. When the first responders arrived, they tried to get him to lie down, but he resisted, equating it with giving up. During the fight, he had been determined never to go down, and he didn't. To the end, he succeeded in staying upright on his knee. Sergeant Young had multiple surgeries to repair his wounds, but he eventually was forced to accept a medical retirement when the doctors couldn't restore full function to his shoulder. Like most heroes, the sergeant doesn't think of himself as one, but rather just another cop taking care of business. He continues a post-retirement career working toward understanding and enhancing officer survival. Many of us have warriors waiting inside should fate come knocking. For example, many more heroes emerged that night. Cadet Cavella, Mr. Schott, and Mrs. Schott, the security officers. Cavella stuck by Sergeant Young's side and became a key player in stopping the offender. One would think that the police cadet witnessing that level of mayhem would seek a different career path. Courage prevailed and he is working as a deputy sheriff. Security officer Brett Schott could have died when he was stabbed while helping the sergeant. Mrs. Schott stuck by her husband's side and administered life-saving aid until the first responders arrived. The courage of all three men earned them multiple awards, and earned Sergeant Young's a visit to the White House. That's, a, that's an amazing story. And I think one of the key takeaways from that are that even if you get injured, even if you get knocked down, even if you get shot, you are not out of the fight. It's not like it is in Hollywood. It's not like it is in video games that you get shot and it's over. You still have the fight in you. You could still return fire. You could still do what you can. Don't think that just because you get hit that you're down. A lot of people will have that in their minds and that when they get shot, then they don't do anything. 
they freeze because they think they're done because that's what they see in movies and video games. You're not out of the fight. Sergeant Young had the warrior mindset. All of Sergeant Young's military, law enforcement, and personal training allowed him to develop what proved to be a crucial warrior mindset. Calmness mindset. The sergeant demonstrated the ability to stay calm, focus on external threat, and keep his brain engaged in problem solving. Adapt and overcome. No one can fully predict every crazy thing that can happen on the street. Officers and citizens must stay tactically fluid and be ready to create and implement plans B to Z when plan A does not work. That's extremely uh, good advice. Be ready to make, create, and implement plans B to Z when plan A does not work. Backup plans, contingency plans. Definitely have to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare ourselves for these things and you have the warrior mindset and know that the fight is not over and that even if you're wounded you can still continue the fight all right chapter two is a survival triangle when confronted with danger physical survival is the overriding concern. Individuals who find themselves involved in a deadly car pileup or another sudden disaster can embrace their survival by staying calm and focused. Afterward, they must face the psychological impact of the traumatic event and possible litigation. The same is true for deadly force encounters. Physically surviving is only the first step. One of Once the fight is over, Survivors face multiple legal challenges and psychological consequences. Cops and citizens. This book focuses on deadly force encounters between police officers and defenders. However, much of the book discusses human performance factors that apply to all citizens as they go about their daily lives and engage in potentially dangerous activities like driving and walking through parking lots. These performance factors might become particularly relevant if they are forced to defend themselves. Since the 1970s, a decade in which the line of duty deaths were at their highest in modern times, improvements in training, tactics, and equipment have dramatically increased the survival rate of police officers. For instance, we now take for granted body armor for police, but this was not always the case, and this story illustrates. In the mid-1970s, my agency acquired a prototype vest and I volunteered as the guinea pig. It was bulky and hot, but I stuck with it, a decision that saved my life. I answered a man with a gun call. The moment I got out of my patrol car, I felt a huge impact on my chest, which knocked me unconscious. I woke up dazed and confused and in, in the gutter and was transported to the hospital where I spent the next five days recovering from my injuries. I found out that I had been ambushed by a sniper with a rifle who was positioned in the second story of a house just waiting for the first cop to show up. Without that prototype vest, my heart would have been destroyed. I never went back on the street without it. And that was from Artwell and Christensen in 1997. So, there's a lot in this book. I'm not going to be covering everything. I'll probably do a couple 
podcasts on this book. Probably some longer ones for my first one. I think this is enough for your understanding. You get the gist of what this podcast is going to be about. Self-improvement. Getting after it. Improving every day. That's the warrior mindset. That's how you get better. Get complacent. Just go through the motions. Day in, day out. Going to work. Come home. Do the same thing. Never train. Yeah. I mean, you might live a comfortable life. You might live a lazy life. But when the wolf shows up to your door. You don't. Rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training. And I think that a lot of people forget that a big part of training is studying, reading, learning. It is a huge part of training, which is a part of the reason why I chose to do books for this podcast. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from people who have been through it. So we're recovering military books, military history books, uh, legal books. Uh, I think one of the next podcasts I'm going to do is on a book called License to Lie. That's written by Sidney Powell. It's going to be an interesting book. Um, I'm also going to be doing uh, nonfiction books that at the time that they were written, they were written as fiction, but as time went on, they became nonfiction. Yes. So I'm recovering books like that as well. So that's that's flip the script podcast and that's what we do we flip the script we stay on our toes we don't back down we don't give up the fight's not over until it's over we win the fight and we win the aftermath flip the script podcast out